scripture reading today is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And I need my glasses. Hear the word of the Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. And his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Got one more song for you to sing, but you don't have to stand to sing it. You ready? Well, you have more after the sermon as well. Uh, And that is because there's a very special birthday. I don't, is the birthday today? On Thursday. Oh, anyway, don't, we'll do it. No, we're going to do it now. I'm just kidding. Um, there's a very special birthday being celebrated today, and that is Betty Cop. So, yes. You can ask Betty the number. It's a great number. It's one more than last year at this time. Um, but why don't we sing, Happy Birthday. Somebody start us. Happy birthday to you. Is Betty here? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Betty. Happy birthday to you. I see you are here. Yeah. Amen. Amen. What blessing. I start uh, this morning with a note talking about childlike energy, and it's a good uh, transition singing happy birthday to someone who. Uh, uh, well, childlike, sure. But uh, I, I, the, my question to begin the sermon here is, when do you lose, and maybe some of you don't lose this, but when do you lose the childlike energy and joy of Christmas time? 
I'm looking over at Craig because he hasn't yet lost it, which is fantastic. Um, and is determined not to, right? Amen, brother. Thank you, by the way. Uh, but it can be something that you can look back on when you were just exuberantly, uh, like almost on edge around Christmas time. And marketers use this now. Some of you have seen the new Best Buy commercials where someone is like a little child giving some other little child a gift and then, you know, magically they're adults now and the whole thing is like, remember when you were a kid. Almost all of us have these memories of ourselves as children. And uh, at times it can be disturbing to some people that they don't feel the joy they once did. Uh, Some of you as parents giving your little children gifts and just waiting for that kind of exuberance and then later on in the teens it's slightly different than that. We hang the same ornaments each year, often. Some of you do, some of us do, year after year. I think I'm reminded that I have the same memories that I pull back of these types of things, this type of joy. So I've told you before that I remember my son Matthew at Park Royal, I think it was Park Royal, having visited Santa, and then we went to the washroom. And we were walking in the washroom, and Santa's not supposed to do this, but Santa was at one of the urinals. (laughs) And Matthew was really little, and he turned and he went, Dad. <laughs> For kids, Christmas is, is almost too much like that, right? It's every time you turn the corner. Look at that. Everything is lit up. Advent is this season of waiting and preparing, and the question this morning and of course I'm going to answer it positively and I want to say for any of you who have encountered the living Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord, this will be a positive answer for you but it's still worth asking could there be anything like that same joy and energy in our lives now but more mature but still just as exuberant our theme for Advent is spoken light that God speaks. And God's act of creation, and the most important thing about creation is not to measure time sequences, however you do that. The most important thing is that this act of creation is God's first act of grace. He didn't have to create anything. But he chose not to be God without us. And that's grace. But we're reminded today as we look at spoken and the light of redemption that God speaks again, not only at creation, but at incarnation. Jesus Christ, born to this earth, he again says, God does, let there be light. And now we can encounter the one true light. Greater than all creation. Creation tells us in our faith where we are from, that we are not accident. And that's really the heart of it. For those of you who get in conversations, most of you probably don't, but some of you do from time to time. You know, what do you actually believe about how the world began and all of these things? The heart of it in Christian faith is that I'm not really sure about the whole thing. And anybody who can tell you every detail and knows everything and all this stuff, there's be careful. But we can tell you this with confidence. The Christian faith says we are not accident. So creation tells us where we're from, God's first act of grace. But redemption, which is a recreation, 
gives us a glimpse of where we are headed. For some of you, depending on the time of your life and what you're struggling with, whatever, however you're feeling on any given day, you can be overwhelmed by uncertainty about where we come from and think, well, you know, I'm just an accident. Or more often, I think, in our day and age, we're overwhelmed by the sense of where we're headed. What's this all going to amount to? The answer in our culture, and I don't want to speak negatively of our culture, there are many good things. But I think if pressed, most people, or I would say probably the default answer of where is this all headed, right? Long after there's a Sutherland church, when somebody else is maybe in a place like this and all of us are just, to them, the past. We're gone. Where is most of this headed? Most people, when pressed, would say it's headed nowhere. To nothing. That doesn't mean they're hopeless about today. But that is a default understanding. Christian faith differs from that. Christian faith has at its heart, and we say because of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christian faith has at its heart hope. This is headed somewhere. And this hope is more than you can escape a sinking ship, which is some of how some of you have heard religious presentations. Really, most everything is going to burn, but you can be saved. That's a very weak understanding of the gospel. And God is better than that. It's not just you can escape a sinking ship. It's that there can be redemption. And in the understanding of an evangelical church, like a church like this, or a Baptist church, or an Alliance church, or you know, various different denominations that people might be used to, uh, when you use the word redemption, most of you think of personal redemption, right? And so if we said to you, tell us a redemption story, uh, you, you would realize that we mean like your life. I was lost in sin and darkness, and God forgave me of my sin. Scripture has that. That's a key part of the gospel. Very important. But it doesn't sum up redemption. Redemption in, in, in Scripture, in the gospel, is always more than just your personal story. You know that, right? First of all, you're part of a people that's being redeemed. And more than that, you're part of a world that God is redeeming. A new heaven and a new earth. God is better than that idea of just pulling a few people out of a sinking ship. And that is sometimes, as I say, how religion can present things. How much better is God than that? You want to know the answer? Did you listen to the two scripture readings this morning? Bringing life out of nothing but death. And bringing peace out of nothing but discord. That's how much better God is. How much better is God than just... to? to reach out for a few? The answer to how much better God is is to consider the nativity and the declaration around the birth of Christ. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. How much better is God to send an angel to shepherd to shepherds out in the fields to a forgotten people, an outsider people in many ways. And the angel appears and says, Behold, I bring you 
and any of you, most of us, maybe some of you feel very, very successful and important, and that if something big is going to happen in the world, you're going to be told about it before the rest of people. But most of the time, most of us feel like we're not the ones getting the big news in the world, that we're not really included in it. Well, the shepherds would have felt that more than you, and so the angel comes and says, I bring you, and the first thing shepherds would do is go, us? I bring you. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people today a Savior is born. What I want you to know is that you can respond to this message of redemption. If you are a Christian, then you can know joy that you may have forgotten. So easy to forget our first love. And that joy doesn't have to be frenetic or frantic like childish joy. Sometimes it can be like that. It's not all bad. But it can, even if it's not childish, it can at least be childlike. I can't believe how good God is. And if you're not a Christian, maybe for the first time to respond and to see the light that God has spoken, the light of Jesus Christ who brings redemption, forgiveness of sin, and salvation. So a consideration of the crash this morning the nativity, the manger scene, whatever you call it, depending on your tradition. A few people sent me images of this. Have you seen it? Well, you're welcome. You can see it now. Uh, You can buy this. I looked it up, and it's too much money. So uh, it's terrible, but I would love to have it. But anyhow, um, this is called, it's actually called modern nativity. It's become known online as hipster nativity. But people who actually are hipsters will never allow anything to be labeled hipster. If you ask a hipster what's a hipster, they'll say, stop it, I don't know. All, all that hipster culture really is certain about is that all meaning is ironic. There's nothing that just is meaning in and of itself. It's all, so, you know, it's, it's old mustaches thinking back to another time, that type of idea. But this was called hipster nativity or modern nativity. Let me walk you through it. Here we have the little drummer boy. But now he's on an iPad. And whatever drums he's playing on the iPad are just going into his headphones. And I think you can see there that the cow says uh, 100% organic beef. And he's eating from a trough that says gluten-free feed. Next, we have the wise men. Otherwise, in other words, the tech guys. The innovators. And they are carrying, uh, where they're riding Segways, and they're carrying Amazon boxes of... I don't know what, not gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but something else. And then we have the heart of the matter. A little blurry. I didn't choose a great image. But I take it that this is supposed to be Joseph and Mary. I love that she has Starbucks. They should have made it a red cup. But anyway, in her hand, found a glitch. Uh, And they are with the baby, Jesus, I suppose. And the best part of it is they're taking a selfie. I think this is kind of like the new birth announcement. So instead of angels to shepherds, it's a selfie posted to Instagram. The scene is not exactly as you would see it. Let me go back to the big picture of it. The scene is not exactly hopeful, right? It's not intended to be. And actually, I don't use it to mock. The the people who made it, I think, are just really smart. And I don't even know if they're trying to mock one particular group of people. I don't entirely think so. I think it's kind of a self-judgment. 
Look at what we've become, right? That this incredible thing is happening, and I just got to make sure that I get in the picture. It doesn't seek to reveal anything transcendent. That's why this can speak. It doesn't evoke anything bigger or spiritual. And I think that's kind of the point that we're so into ourselves now. There would not be a lot of feeling that the child in this scene would bring redemption for the others in the scene. Or is there? And there's not the childlike energy or joy. I don't know where you would find worship in this. But it still can speak to us. Give you another picture of another crush now. This one's the one in our front entrance. I just took this this morning. It's actually sunny. I can see light in that picture. As we consider redemption this morning, we consider the crash. It's worth reminding ourselves every Christmas, like an ornament that we hang up on our tree, that the first crash, traditionally, historically, as we're told in our faith, the first nativity scene was made by St. Francis. Do you know St. Francis? That one, of Assisi. He kind of wandered around, and he changed the world, and he changed the world without money. Whenever he got money, he just got rid of it, gave it away. He could have had a lot of money because he came from a wealthy family. His dad was in textiles and did very well. But as I say, he gave everything up. Early in his life, Francis wanted to be a soldier. He had dreams of glory on some battlefield. And then as he traveled around trying to pursue those hopes, he was also rather enamored by traveling actors. They would have little scenes put on, different than having a theater, but just... He wanted, I don't know that he wanted adulation, but he was drawn to these types of dramatic things, battle and dramatic presentation. But in one of his travels, he sees what he refers to later as the light of Jesus Christ. Particularly, it's not the only encounter, but he particularly refers to an encounter with a man who has leprosy. And he feels led by God to embrace the leper. You're not supposed to, I mean, you know, unclean, unclean, right back to scripture times. And he feels as he's encountering this man with leprosy that he is encountering Jesus Christ himself. And Francis' entire, his whole life changes after that. He becomes completely driven most of the time by joy. And he remains for the whole of his life childlike in his faith and devotion. So much so that virtually everybody at that time and virtually everybody still to this day, many, many years later, considers him naive. After seeing the leper encountering Jesus, he did start to give everything away, and Francis' father was troubled, like any of you fathers would be. I mean, he's not going the right route. How's he going to support himself? That type of thing. And so dad calls the local priest, who knows the family well, and says, can you help me with my son? He's gone all religious on me. And, uh, and he's taken this a little too seriously. So the priest comes and says, sure, I can help you out. And there's this famous encounter where the priest basically says to Francis, look, you don't have to go crazy with this. It's possible to follow Jesus Christ without just giving everything away. 
And his dad basically says to some degree, yes, Frank, Frank, what he said. And Francis, being dramatic, strips off the clothes that he has on in their company, so he's completely naked. And he says, fine, if you don't want me to give most things away, then I'll give everything away, even the clothes on my back. And he storms out naked. And that's why we have this, the Franciscan robe. Because it wasn't so good to walk around naked. And soon after, he found the most simple clothing he could find. And Franciscan monks to this day wear these. This is St. Francis. If there's anyone who carries a childlike joy, and he's not alone in carrying it in Christian history, but he is perhaps the greatest example, or one of our greatest examples. The stories about him are found in many places, but some are collected in a little book called The Little Flowers of St. Francis, and for some of you, even the title makes you roll your eyes. Little Flowers of St. Francis? Yep, that's what they called it. Stories, and I've told you before, of some of these, like the Wolf of Gubbio. There was a wolf terrorizing an Italian village, killing people. And so they called Francis. Remember, Francis becomes the one whose picture he's always with all the animals, one with nature. Before Francis, even Christian painting didn't have nature in it because it was considered evil and fallen. Francis changed that. So they call Francis, you know, can you do anything about this wolf? Instead of calling somebody to kill the wolf. And Francis shows up and he basically says, he finds the wolf in the woods and says, brother wolf, everything was brother and sister. You can't, you can't keep killing people. Something like that. And he goes to the townspeople and he says to them, you know, you should probably take care of the wolf. Love it. Feed it. And he finds a truce between these two. Famous story. Or his visit to the sultan, the leader of the Muslim faith. Around the time of the Crusades, by the way, he was not like much of the people, in many of the people in his church, grabbing for power and land. And he found his way to the sultan. And the story is told that he got company with him, and basically said, you'd think of it as naive, right, even today, I think we should probably just all get along. He had differences with his own church, the Catholic Church. The church, as I say, was getting pretty into money at the time and opulence, and Francis was not like that at all. And he's been so much an outsider, even to recent times, even though he's celebrated, but he was never really taken seriously in some ways, that no pope ever took his name until the current pope. You know how popes take different names. So Joseph Ratzinger becomes Benedict, right? And so-and-so becomes John the... I don't know what it is. Sorry if you're Catholic here, but you know, John the big number. Well, we have Pope Francis. Jorge Borgoglio is his name, right? And he chooses the name St. Francis. And he tells you, if you watch the news, why would he choose a name like Francis? Because he's drawn to the poor like St. Francis was. There's a fantastical story told about Francis that he was so committed to Jesus Christ and so caught up in prayer. There's one story told that he was with his follow, one of his followers up in a little shack or something and the other followers were down having a meal and they look up the hill and they see that the shack is on fire. And so they go running up, Francis and Claire, this thing must be, and uh, they go up and the place is fine when they get there. These kinds of stories. 
One of them is told that he was praying so much, he loved Jesus Christ so much, that he was given a gift, but it's a terrible gift. But it's a beautiful gift. The gift was the wounds of Christ on his hands. They just appeared. These kinds of stories. Now the important matters of the day, the Crusades, the church, political and social things going on, St. Francis is just this wandering monastic repairing churches, having these strange encounters, but he develops quite a following, and there are a number of people become led by him. And as I say, he calls everybody brother and sister, so they take on their names. So I guess I would be Brother Todd, right? But Francis doesn't want to be called Brother Francis. You know this, I've told you before. He takes the name Brother Ass. That's how seriously he takes himself. I like it too. Thank you, Lawrence. More people should appreciate it like you do. Anyway, there would be likely, there'd likely not be a modern nativity without Francis because he builds the first crash. Why, why would he build it? Out of religious devotion. He's just so excited about Jesus Christ that he wants to do this kind of thing. The first nativity scene. So what's redemption? As we look at this. It's hard for us because sometimes we think, I don't mean that it's actually difficult, but one of the things we can battle with is, like I've been reading a book, a novel lately, because when we were in Poland, as I told you earlier, we went to Auschwitz this year, and I heard that in the New York Times best books of 2016, one of them was a novel about two twin girls in Auschwitz. Uh, so I've been reading it, and it's devastating to me because I can actually picture the places now. It just changes everything. And so when we think about the darkness in our own lives or the struggles that we might have, we can easily just say, well, my struggles aren't really anything compared to such and such. But when we think about redemption, we do start with us, right? The darkness in our own world. But the darkness in your life, Christian faith would say the sin in your life, the wrong that you've done, Is there any hope of redemption for any of these things? For the greatest of all evils? Okay, maybe that's a challenge for you. But maybe that's easier than thinking, no, my life and the darkness of my life, whether I've caused it or someone else has, can be redeemed. Redemption is a big theme in Scripture. The biggest, actually. Say creation is, but it's creation and redemption. Sorrow, suffering, pain, and loss. And this is the declaration of Christian faith. All of it. When I say this, it's a faith statement. Do you understand that? There's no experts here. Darkness, sin, sorrow, pain, your personal struggle, your personal loss, all of it will be redeemed in Christ Jesus. So, my personal faith, I said yes to Jesus Christ many years ago as a teenager. And I learned that idea that redemption means my sins are forgiven, this personal aspect of my faith. You know, like I've been made a new creation. But then as a young adult, I remember praying because my family background, like my parents. So I was a child and there were many, there's divorces and splits and 
Some of you have had experiences like this in, in your own life. Much of the adversity in my life that I've experienced so far, and I know there'll be more, but some of it was as a child. But you don't think of it necessarily as adversity at that point. You're just going through it. But I remember many nights sitting in a car and there's an argument or there's something going on. Or the, and sometimes I remember one night looking out, this is in Ontario, and just seeing, looking at a street light and seeing this beautiful snow come down. But knowing as a child that things in my life were not really like they could have been or should have been. So as a young adult, now married myself, years after this, I'm praying one time and the Lord, I feel puts on my heart this image of redemption. I'm praying about, I don't know, I was a youth pastor by then, I guess, the church and something else. And God all of a sudden brings back many of these memories of my childhood and just gently says to me, this is what I feel in prayer, Todd, do you know something? I'm going to redeem all of it. All of it. So I say to you, What pictures do you draw? The ones you hold right now and the ones that you have to reach back into the past. May I declare to you in Christ it will all be redeemed. Now do you see it? If you believe that, Your faith will be as a child because you'll be free. You'll see the light of Christ as Francis did and you'll say to yourself as he did, I thought that this was life, making my way, growing up, becoming responsible. You know, getting to a place of security and some kind of success. having a family or having friends. I thought that this was life. And it's not that all of that is cast aside, but in redemption, the light shines and you say, like Francis did, I thought that this was life, but now I see this. And you can appear almost naive when you feel that. And you can know joy even in the darkness. And then, and here is where our outreach comes in, and then we want others to see as well. But how could we want others to see if our message is one of less than joy? It's like fear or judgment. That's the text for this morning, the Ezekiel and Isaiah. And obviously I'm not teaching them as expository teaching during this Advent season. I'm using them as images of redemption, which they both are. The Ezekiel image is almost too much. It's, I find it almost comical, even though it's so devastating in its, in its like, uh, how um, basic it is. Dead things brought to life. It's almost too much, but all images of redemption are like that. So Ezekiel is taken to a valley, a desert. Death valley, if there ever was a death valley. And there's bones there, dead bones. The text keeps saying all this dead, 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 again and again. There's a pile of them and they're dry bones and you get the idea. There's nothing but death there. Speak to them and then as Ezekiel speaks, they come together. And then he speaks this breath of life. Prophesy to them and they become alive. 
This is Ezekiel who had faced personal loss. His wife had died, which is part of how he was a prophet. So he's carrying, like you, some devastating personal loss, and God takes him to this valley of dry bones. And what do you think Ezekiel's thinking about? Probably his own personal loss, right? But God reminds him as these bones come together, this isn't only about you and your life, though God is good there, but that this is the whole house of Israel because they feel nothing but death and dry and done. But they'll be redeemed. And then the Isaiah image, where there is this exile, war, darkness, sorrow, death, and pain, nothing but discord. These are people who are uh, brought into exile from where they lived. You know, lines in Isaiah like, um, announcing peace, our God reigns. How lovely are the feet of him who brings good news, right? Proclaiming peace, announcing news of happiness. Though that news was announced to people who were in exile, cut off from the land of promise. And that's where these pictures are drawn. So here's the picture. In a time of war and discord, Isaiah the prophet draws the picture of a parade. And before the parade, there's like a lion and a lamb. Not like, there is a lion and a lamb laying down to, right beside each other and a little calf. And then the parade begins. That's how I picture it. And there's a parade of a lamb and then a lion all lined up in this parade. And a little calf and an ox. And Tierney read well that this parade is led by a little child. And the child leads them to a cobra's den and reaches in the cobra's den because, oh, it'd be nice to play with this snake. Thank you, Lawrence. And everybody, everybody is just enjoying the company of the other. It's a picture of extravagant peace. It's a picture of redemption. And we're told straight out in that image, there is no death and no killing. I am okay with understanding the Old Testament that these are in ways particular promises for particular people at a particular time. But I'm speaking now of what these foretell as well. Redemption that will be found in Jesus Christ. The scope of which, and this is the Christian claim, the scope of the redemption in this birth is over all the earth. Good news of great joy for all people. So what has been lost to you in your life? What shadows are you living in? What pain have you caused? What wrong have you done and what regrets do you carry? What lifelessness do you feel? The hope of the nativity is that it will all be redeemed in Jesus Christ. Your life, and even more than that, you can know the transcendent. The biblical image of heaven is a feast a wedding supper of the Lamb, the Lamb being Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. And the hope of the wedding supper of the Lamb is that God dwells with his people. Fulfillment of hope, life, joy, eternal life, everlasting and abundant. The Lamb of Jesus Christ, the one true light, who gave his life for the life of the world, and in him we know redemption. The Christian faith is a faith of hope. Come to us, Emmanuel, we sing at Christmas time. And like a child, we say, we wait for you with bated breath. And hope filled hearts and anxious minds longing to see your face and worship at your feet. And when I know this light, my energy becomes like a child and it's almost too much. And I'm writing this sermon sitting in a coffee shop on Lonsdale this week. 
finishing up some details. Friday morning. It's a little bit sunny for a minute or two. No, it wasn't. It was pouring rain. But the reason I think it was sunny is because when I was caught up thinking about redemption, I looked out the windows and Lonsdale just was on fire. Light of redemption. Hope for all the world when you know this faith. So respond. If you're a Christian, put up the lights, pray the prayers, sing the carols, and sing them lustily. Come to church if you're a Christian. I'm not saying you have to come here, but don't celebrate Christmas by, you know, busying yourself so much that you can't go to church. Listen to Handel's Messiah. If you're not a Christian here among us this morning, I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Be open to the light. And I assure you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will know, and every Christian here would say the same thing, you will know the redemption that is in him. We'll join the chorus afterwards. I'll give you one more image of Francis. Can you see it? You can't really, can you? He's kneeling down. He's in one of those burlap sack robes, and there's all kinds of animals just crowding around him. Looks like a tiger or something, or and there's an ox, and there's a lamb. And the image, this is from a devotional book of St. Francis' sayings. And you know what the image is of? What it's playing with, at least in my mind? Francis is like the child leading that parade. He's seen the light of Christ. And so we join the shepherds and Ezekiel and Isaiah and John who declared, make a way in the desert. And those who've gone before us in this place, that we would get a glimpse of the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Come to us, Emmanuel, God with us. We wait for thee with bated breath and hope-filled hearts and anxious minds, longing to see your face and worship at your feet. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Can I ask the ushers to come forward and take the offering at this time as well as we continue?
the benediction, but I want to uh, feel led to just lead us through a little bit of a prayer exercise. You know that uh, after church and even um, after the sermon, uh, often we'll have people at the back who can pray with you if you want to receive prayer. You're always also welcome to stay in the sanctuary after church uh, if you want to just pray and respond. Uh, we particularly invite you, if, if you feel like uh, uh, responding, particularly if you've said, I've never have accepted the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Come and find me, because whoever I'm talking to, even though they're important, what you're dealing with is probably more important, uh, and I'll come pray with you, or go and pray at the back with somebody who's there. Uh, so that's uh, important to know at this time. 
The prayer exercise I want to lead you through will be brief, and that is I, I feel the need to invite you to consider whatever it is in your life that you have had trouble believing can be redeemed. And somehow to picture that right now or ask God to reveal it to you. And I want to pray for you. So let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we are held at times by our sense of inadequacy, by our sense of loss, by what we have experienced that has been difficult, painful, tragic. We're burdened by our own sin when we're honest with ourselves. Would you right now, even if it's just a glimpse of your light, would you speak to each of us here the promise of your redemption? And help us to trust in you. And give us light. And make us know freedom and joy that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those who have never prayed it, but feel led to do so, you just echo in your mind my words, Lord Jesus Christ. Come into my life and show me the redemption that's in you. I don't really even know what it means to trust in you. But I humble myself before you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So announcements before I pronounce the benediction and send you on your way. Next Sunday night is Christmas music and dessert night here. uh, And uh, we have a few more tickets that have opened up. It's sold out right away. But I think we've got 15 to 25 tickets because uh, we've opened up some more space. And then we found some more tickets as well. Uh, but so if you want those, you've got to rush to the back right when this is done and, you know, shoulder your way through the people and and get a ticket. Uh, invite your friends and family if you haven't done so already. And, and we want to have a great night uh, that night. A reminder from those uh, organizing it that we need TV trays. This is one of the ways we've opened up more tables. Um, and so we want to use even the balcony because there's tables here. So if you if you have TV trays, some of you are from those decades where you know what I'm talking about. Um, we would love to get those. And some of you now are saying, very cool. You mean I don't have to sit at a table? I could use a TV tray? You could. So the tickets that are being sold now will mostly be balcony tickets. So if you want to sit in the balcony and use a TV tray, you can tell us that. Okay. Secondly, we need three to four people next Sunday after church to help Ian Gilmartin in the basement, who's making the desserts, to help peel apples. So speak to Allison. Is that okay if I can say speak to Allison if you can help Ian Ian peel apples and she'll get you information on that. And one or two other people to help during the event. Again, you can speak uh, to Allison. So uh, Tasting Room Theology, Tuesday, December 20th. You can get tickets from me or I'll reserve you a spot for $15. We're calling it Christmas from the outside. It's going to be three or four, like three-minute stories from people. It's not one speaker this time, but down at Bridge Brewery. So talk to me if you'd like to go to that. Uh, coming up two weeks from Tuesday. I also want to remind you, I don't think we have a slide for it, so you can leave that there, but Rick Calhoun, who's here, is heavily involved in uh, working with Pacific Theater and has been a music and sound person for many of their productions, including their current Christmas production, which is called Holy Mo. And it's kind of a modern but not hipster retelling of the Nativity, correct? Thank you. 
So go to pacifictheater.org if you... Oh, there it is. Look at that. Wow, that was fast. If you want tickets for that, go to pacifictheater.org. And uh, um, many of us are going to go out and see it, and I'm sure that uh, you'll enjoy it. Uh, so then the other announcement that we had was today, 4 o'clock to 4.30 at Evergreen. As many as you as possible, come out and just sing Christmas carols with us for the residents there and with the residents there as well. Okay, are there any more? Is that it, Amanda? Yeah, Christmas Eve. Tuesday night, prayer for Nepal, 7.15 at the Burgies. Thank you very much. And then we have on here that our Christmas Eve service, we're calling it Grand Boulevard Christmas Eve, also with that idea that the Christmas Eve service isn't just for Sutherland Church. It's for anybody who you want to bring, and anybody who you bring is not like secondary to what we're doing here. We're all together in this. So 6.30 to 7.30 on Christmas Eve. Christmas Day service, remember this. Christmas Day service is 10 a.m., and it's combined with St. Timothy's. Christmas is on a Sunday this week. Thank you so much, so I'll pronounce the benediction and bless you as you go. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us as we go into this week. We thank you for the redemption that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And now, from me to you, I pronounce upon you the blessing of Jesus Christ, that you would know this faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that you would know the love of a good God, God over all the earth. Go in peace, in Jesus' name. Amen.